Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Spoil Your Rain. This is me, Ben Simmons. And me, Jack Kavanagh. I suppose the topic for today, we're going to start with the, sort of the background centralisation and decentralisation of political, government, administrative authority, both in Ireland and more abstractly elsewhere, uh, how it affects or can determine policies in different places. And we're going to move on to talk about a variety of more day-to-day topics that are more recent, uh, the results of the banking inquiry that have recently come out. Yeah, and I, I think the, the thing to start with when we're talking about um, centralization and decentralization is, you know, where does it start? So wh- where does this sort of centralization um, policy at a governmental level start? And I mean, obviously, it has its origins uh, initially in in the foundation of the state, because the state was founded in the midst of a civil war. So the natural impulse of the government is to centralize authority, so you can make clear decisions without any sort of debate, for lack of a better word. Um, and then, of course, in the 1940s, we had a, the complete nationalization of the rail system when the private companies went bankrupt. And then we had a, a period in the 60s when education was nationalized. And then by the end of the 70s, we had the nationalization of health care. And then in 1977, as part of the election, Jack Lynch, who was then the leader of Fianna Fáil, pledged to remove all local rates from local authorities, which basically chronically underfunded local authorities and has sort of led to the place we have now, where we have, in theory, a pretty comprehensive local government structure that has very little actual power. Mm-hmm. Particularly the elected representatives have the least amount of power in that system. The people with the most power are the unelected uh, county and city managers. And that's in terms of how regional decisions are made in different parts of the country. Yes. Sort of away from a coordinated national policy. Um, I think one of the things you have to consider when you look at other examples, like uh, you spoke briefly about Ireland, but the two most obvious examples with more structural more structural decentralization uh, and where centralization and decentralization become an issue are in federalized democracies like Germany and the United States mm-hmm. yeah yeah federal republics yeah. I mean federal republics are kind of built on the idea of really powerful local governments um, and that includes state governments in the in the in the case of the federated states of the US and in Germany um, and a sort of overarching federal government that sort of wanes in power depending on the period. You know, you'll have periods of very strong federal government and then periods of very weak, ineffective federal administration and policy. Uh, I mean, on the subject of the United States, I I only realized uh, recently there are 500,000 elected representatives in the United States. 90% of them are at the state and local government. So like local legislatures? And yeah, well, town councils, uh, school boards, the whole lot. And those basically 500,000 people at the, at the state level and the local level control an equal budget to the federal budget. Yes, they do. And nobody ever thinks about that. It's like, hang on, they actually control the same amount of money that, you know, we, we, that the media focuses on, Congress, you know, is Paul Ryan going to pass a budget, yada, yada, yada. But we don't actually talk about, well, hang on, what's Scott Walker doing in Wisconsin? And what's Jerry Brown going to pass in California? And what's Cuomo going to do in New York? Because they also collectively control the same amount of money, the 50 governors and the state legislatures and... Yeah. So just for the sake of argument, this is just in a very sort of simple terms. We look at somewhere like the United States as, for, for the sake of an example, as a 
a more decentralized example than our own in Ireland. Of course, yeah. Now, one of the main reasons why um, centralization is given, like usually encouraged, or not necessarily encouraged, but there is a movement towards that, is the idea that there are sometimes where certain regional powers that exist in a decentralized democracy might outweigh the national interest. So if you have a powerhouse like just for sake, I'm not saying it is, but like New York, for example, because of the amount of money it controls the state mm-hmm. and also as a city capital for that state, that there might come a point where decisions that New York might want to make for its own self-interest are detrimental to a wider region of the United States. Now, a safeguard against that is the separation of the legislative and executive branch from that democracy, which means that even if a state does something that nobody likes, the executive authority can step in and go, listen, we have to all play by the, this book here and make a negotiation with that sort of regional demand. But the problem with when you look at centralization and decentralization, I think, in Ireland, is that because we only have the doll, the Supreme Court... Or, or and the courts, the yeah. Courts, and the city managers, it's very difficult to sort of say, <clears throat> you know... Um, no city manager is going to take on the Minister for the Environment. It's just not going to happen because they're appointed by the Minister for the Environment. Yes, exactly. And I think that, yeah, you're right. There, there, there is no secondary force to say, no, we're not doing that. That's, that's not in our interest of our region or our county or our city. And it's also with how the political parties are quite strict in terms of voting. Mm. So like if you're a member and you're voting more for the interest of your region as a regional representative, you can still be kicked out of your party if that's deemed against the policy of the current government. The national policy, yeah. The yeah. national policy of the yeah. government. So, um, yeah, so it, it, it does become, I think, more complex and why I think we've seen in Ireland more a decentralization of administrative offices rather than of, like, sort of executive authorities in certain regions. Yeah, I think I think there's also, there's a, there's a fundamental distrust from the centre and the centre being this sort of, the governments in Dublin of decentralizing executive authority because in part they worry about the kind of people who will be elected, right? I, I, I get that. I mean, one of the arguments I often heard from people on the street, because I'm a big advocate of all regions should have elected leaders, right? There shouldn't be a city or county manager. There should be someone you elect. And the, the logic I've always had is if you don't like them, you can fire them. Exactly. Yeah. You, you vote them out. And I, I sort of would like to clarify what you're saying when you're saying sort of the centralized Dublin government, you don't actually mean the geographical area of Dublin. What you're kind no. of more referring to is when a government is formed, they form a cabinet, yeah. and or the ministers are selected, and they form a national policy together. So you just sort of mean the central government that just so happens to be, to be in, Dublin. in Dublin, yeah. rather than Dublin as a kind of... Oh, as a region, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, because Dublin as a region has actually not done very well out of this whole deal. No, especially in terms of education, actually. Yeah, education, is, it's not worked out so well. And also the fact that Dublin has expanded because it's become the only real economic hub in the country. But only certain areas of Dublin have done well. And there's large swathes of it that have not done very well. And I've always wondered if we moved the administrative capital out of our key economic hub, would that be better as a rebalancing system? Because it is more important to have the administrative capital somewhere else because it does pre- it prevents a sort of an overly kind of myopic mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, where you if you're sitting somewhere where 
you know, if you're a TD and you are from the country, but you rent a flat in Dublin, and if you live in the south side in a particularly nice area, you don't understand what people are giving out about because when you walk around, the shops are open and people are buying things and it looks fine to you, you know. Yeah. So then when you go in to vote in a budget and some guy stands up and goes, well, hang on, there's kids over there and they live in the flats and they're not doing so well, you, you don't see it. Mm-hmm. You don't see it, you don't know, you don't care. Yeah. And there is a, you know, there was an attempt by Phil Hogan before he went to Europe to create a centralized Dublin executive now, the problem with that is that Dublin is actually governed by four local authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't had a county Dublin since 1990. We've had these four um, new regions carved out of the greater Dublin area. We have Dunleary Rat Down in the south. We have South Dublin City, which is actually West Dublin. Mm-hmm. We have the original Dublin City Council, which used to be the corporation. And then we have Fingal. And those four make up Dublin City, right? Mm-hmm. And they were supposed to come to an arrangement. The four of them were all supposed to agree to go along with this centralized one elected mayor, sort of on the British system for the, you know, that's what Boris Johnson was. He was the mayor of the greater London area. Well, Fingal didn't want to do it. So one of the four said no and it died. So, I mean, that's the most recent case of a sort of decentralization of authority within the capital region that has failed because of one group disagreeing with it. I think we, we mostly hear about difficulties with centralised national policy and programmes, especially in terms of like social, like um, housing, funding for education. Healthcare. Uh, one of the more small ones that came up recently in Galway was the question of school buses. Kids who cannot go to a school that's got too many assigned pupils has to go to another school in the region. But because it's that little bit far away or out of the technical catchment of their address, they're not actually no longer entitled to the, sort of the transport facility for. And that's not, you know, from a sort of a layman's perspective, you're going, well, surely they can just give the kid the funding to go to the other school because what difference is it? Yeah. It's sort of a, an example of a, a white policy that isn't exactly adaptable for certain regions under political or social stresses or like in terms of the student grant where there's a sort of an anti-Dublin part of it that's always the, the view has always been in Dublin that there's an anti-them because it's got this um, discrepancy for per mileage per, yeah, yeah. To yeah which which of course completely disproportionately affects all the people who live in Dublin who live quite close to universities not by their choice the yeah, universities are just there it's incentive for them to actually attend the university yeah. in the first place or even apply for the grant at all because they're not sure whether it's applicable to them or yeah, and also, you know, I, I get the argument that, like, people who live in Dublin who are who are going to be eligible for this grant could go to Galway or they could go to Cork or Letterkenny or whatever, but they're just not going to do that. The is not they're just going to do that. That's just not... In part, because educationally, why would they do that when they have, what, four universities in their hometown that are all pretty good? Yes. You know, like... I don't, I don't understand how that policy is supposed to work. But, I mean, to rebalance it would create... Well, you'd have to put more money into it to actually be able to rebalance it properly. And so, yeah, you're right. What's happened now is the centralizing kind of impulses that, that sort of took hold um, really from the 70s are starting to come apart at the seams because we're not funding them to make them work. You know? One-size-fits-all solutions work if there's enough money in the pipeline to buy off any problems 
yeah. oh, there's a problem in this region, we're just going to send some more money at it. I mean, that's what happened in the, the Fianna Fáil governments from 97 to 2011. That when there was a problem with this centralization, they would just throw money at stuff. Um, and then, of course, they were the guys who created this decentralization program of the administrative faculties of the state. So these are the government departments. And they divided the government departments into different subsections and sent them all around the country. Now, this was done by the Minister of Finance at the time, who was Charlie McCreevy. And the, all the reports at the time said that he came up with this without any consultation with Cabinet. He came up with it. Uh, got Bertie to sign off on it and then just announced it and I think part of it it was viewed as a vote getter it was viewed as this really shrewd vote getter because you're going to move people all over the country so you have departments of education in Athlone yeah. for the exam commission then you have uh, I think it's Parts of social welfare, pensions and SLIGO. So uh, the disability department of social welfare is in Longford. Um, there's other parts of it in Cork. Parts of the defence department are in other parts. So you basically you've 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 moved your civil service and your public service parts of it anyway around the country in a way to kind of move that vote around because they you know jobs to the area. And I sort of get yeah. the logic behind that because one of the main reasons why people don't like centralised systems is because they tend to have all the employment in the center and it's only the kind of small more regional branches that are just representation of a larger executive authority somewhere else but saying that's decentralization for me is actually not really true it's kind of an artificial de decentralization because what you're actually doing is you're taking a kind of a separate head or department and putting it somewhere else that department's location has nothing to do with its function no. Necessarily. Which, if, if you're going to decentralize anything, it actually has, the whole point is that certain decisions can be made more efficiently at source without a kind of having to pass it all the way back up and then all the way back Oh, up. no, of course, the other problem was that all the ministers sit in Dublin. True. So the departments are all scattered around the country, but they still all have to ring Dublin. Yeah. You know, like, it, it, it was basically, it was like a... It was just, it was a shrewd move in the politics of the time to, as you said, it's basically a huge jobs program. Move the jobs outside the thing and look like you're doing uh, decentralization. But um, there was a recent report came out and it said that basically that policy executed by Fianna Fáil, uh, with the support of the PDs, uh, led to the sort of the derailment of what had been the national spatial strategy. And the National Spatial Strategy was a sort of uh, a, 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 a concept of secondary cities that would be called gateway cities that would receive money and infrastructure to sort of create more employment in certain key regions, right? Um, and it was a good idea. It was worked on by the National Development Plan. It was worked on by the EU, who funded a chunk of it. It was worked on by our government departments, who put money and a lot of time and thinking into it. So you had two policies running concurrently. Yeah. One was a very smart, actual decentralization plan, which was to create other concentric areas of economic development. And then you had another one, which was the sort of cute who are politics thing, which was I'm just going to take people who would normally work in a department in Dublin, and I'm going to move all those jobs to Athlone so that we can help our TD down there so he can run around the district and say, oh, well, I got your jobs now. Yeah. And 
because it didn't work, and it was also very expensive, I think this is the other thing, the cost of that policy was really high. Because if you didn't want to go, you got to pay out. So yeah. it's just a lot of money. You just end up, they spend a load of money on this. And now what we have is we have a national spatial strategy that's no longer functional. I don't know. I mean, they basically got rid of it. I don't know what Fine Gael's replacement is. They haven't to let us know what that is. Um, and we have actually an over-centralization, even more so in the recession period in Dublin. That's where all the money is being generated. It's all being generated in Dublin, primarily in the Docklands region. You know, this is one, what, it's a five-mile area. It's tiny. IFSC. Yeah, the IFSC, all of that kind of region. There's a few other parts, other kind of industrial estates that bring in money as well. But you're not talking about a big area here. I think one of the things, like I personally am an advocate of a more decentralized government um, with a huge amount of caveats to that. But as a, as a basic sort of, sort of democratic principle, I think it is more efficient if, it's actually given the proper authority to do so. And it does actually require a little bit more engagement from the people who live there, which I think is a good thing. I think it forces engagement. It forces engagement a little bit more. The The problem with it, obviously, is like what a lot of people fear of with sort of... Is you're going to make a mini doll. Well, it's also sort of mini tribalisms that, um, especially in terms of social issues, like, for example, if there was a sort of equivalent that you've seen in the United States. So like abortion bans and stuff like that? Or like, or states sort of taking it into their own hands to stand against something because... Gay rights and stuff like that. Because a political candidate is actually after a... essentially votes. Mm. They're chasing votes of a very high voting minority, but, you know, the turnout. And then you find this one region is in conflict with an entire sort of national situation. I get why people are anxious about certain aspects of authority being given over to regional powers. I actually, I mean, I don't share that worry about it. No, I'm just saying that's sort of the general sort of anxiety that people... Yeah, I actually, I would sooner decentralize things with very few caveats because I think that um, the counties that we have now now, the, we can talk about the county structure as a problem, and it is a problem, right? Because it, it largely, you know, it, it, it's a creature of, um, well, an imperialist model, but it, it also, it doesn't make a lot of sense economically or even geographically, you have these county borders, but we're not changing them. No. I mean, I don't know if anyone has been following what's happening in Roscommon, but all hell is breaking loose over the fact that Roscommon might be losing its only economic hub to uh, Westmeath and the suburbs of Athlone. And this has caused a huge Ferrari, and it's not going anywhere. And the people who live in Roscommon are legitimately pissed off. It's their region. They paid for this economic uh, area from their local um, rates and taxes and so on. And so even in 2015, changing county boundaries is pretty much a no-no, which means that you're going to have to sort of accept the county system right or else what you do is you go on you say it's going to be on a provincial level so there'll be a Munster executive and there'll be a Leinster executive and there'll be a Connacht executive right three county Ulster executives yeah but that would only work that would only work as a sort of as a precursor to bringing the northerners along with you yeah because you'd have to decentralize power to the extent where the unionists would feel comfortable right looking 
down the road and eventually Re- yeah. six counties sort of coming back in. Coming back in for economic control. reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it only works on economic reasons. And I've always been a believer that actually unifying the country is the best thing for the economy because it's just more people. It's math. Yeah. It's just a simple metric. We have more humans, more people buy stuff. We have a consumption-driven economy. It doesn't, you know, this isn't very complicated. Countries uh, with a larger domestic market are able to survive like recessions, and they don't require as much foreign direct investment, and so on and so forth. And also, it re- it reduces our over homogenization of one cultural tradition and brings in another one um, that we'll have to adapt to. But that's not a bad thing. Yeah. So th- there are positives to it, right? Uh, God knows if that's going to happen in our lifetime. But it is that is a part of the decentralization question as well, is if you are going to start large-scale executive decentralization, you have to sort of plan in the background for what is going to happen with Northern Ireland. Yeah. You know. Well, I think, yeah, you have to plan for what's going to happen to Northern Ireland, but you also had, remember sort of the differentiations, I don't know if you took geography, you had uh, central southeastern region, which is essentially Cork, Draw line to Cork to Dundalk. Yeah. And that was south. And then the rest was border BMW, border Midlands and West. And they were all the poor yeah, area. It's, it's like, yeah, the not so good bit, which is obviously, it's a very hand fisted way of dividing the country and it's not really real. And obviously the county boundaries would no longer work at the moment. So if you were going to have a decentralization, it would have to be a sort of regional decentralization. So you'd have to divide the like, well, I think I think you could devolve a lot of power back to the counties. I mean, I do think that counties should really look after schools. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, there shouldn't be national a national department of education. I've always thought that was a mistake. Um, I think on healthcare, well, it depends on whether we have a HSE. And I don't know if we're going to have a HSE. I mean, Fine Gael have been talking about getting rid of it. But since now that their magic Danish model has gone out the window, we have no idea what the hell they want to do for healthcare. Yeah. I mean, it's, it costs billions, but we don't actually know what it's going to be like. And obviously, the government has been pretty honest about it. They said, look, it's going to take 10 years to turn it into something that is more useful. And I understand that. Um, but you could probably decentralize a section of it. Definitely primary care facilities, um, the sort of mom and pop doctor stuff, right? Go in, get your prescription, get your flu shot, that kind of thing. That could all be done on a much more localized basis. You don't really need an administrative system to deal with that. The regional hospitals issue is one that comes up every election because we do have uh, hospitals in areas where people no longer live. And that's partly a problem of the fact that we our censuses up until recently were kind of haphazard. We didn't have a strict census every five years. We do now. We're going to have one in a a matter of months. And so if you have a census every five years, you get to see where the population is, you get to understand the the migration of people, and you have to be able to plan accordingly. Now, this is where centralization comes into play, because if you're going to be putting infrastructure in place, you need it to be on a national basis. But that's only for key-line infrastructure. That's major motorways, major railways, which we have neglected, um, large-scale infrastructure projects such as airports and things like that. Things that actually heavy, heavy, um, 
heavy industry, mining, uh, yeah, heavy utilities such as high-speed broadband, uh, electrification. Yeah, electrification. There's now supposed to be a hydroelectric thing being built down in Tipperary. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but they're talking about it. Uh, redredging the entire Shannon Basin, that's probably going to have to happen as well. You know, they, they are all large-scale national infrastructure projects because they cost a lot of money and they require a lot of time to get up and running. And you need something that can move between the authorities without having to defer to them. But we, it's funny, for a country that's so centralized, we do create a lot of small little fiefdoms. Yes, yeah, we do, yeah. So, like, we call them quangos. I mean, that's our political shorthand for that is a quango. And if you're ever in another country and you call it a quango, they're not going to know what the hell you're talking about. A quango, from what I understand, is an agency established for one purpose, that when that purpose is done, stays alive. As in, it doesn't die. I mean, agencies should actually be removed when they're no longer useful. Or sort of amalgamated into a smaller... Or, or bigger agency or whatever. Nationalized, I think, is the term they use. Yeah. No, they don't want to do that. Of course not. It's jobs, jobs and, yeah. yeah. And it also ties into the fact that we have so many people working directly or indirectly for the state. Yes. So whenever the state is doing job losses, it's always a very complicated area. And the distribution of wages within the state sector is is not equitable at all. We have massive inequality within the state pay sector, which doesn't help. And so, you know, they actually need to get their act together on that issue. So bring down the top earners and bring up the low earners and create sort of a standard. Yeah. Um, You know, that's not going to happen under Fine Gael. Definitely not. But it's just not in their philosophy. They just don't think that way. Uh, you'd hope that labor would, but I don't know if that's really theirs either. Um, but yeah, the centralization debate is going to come back, and it's it's going to I think repeatedly come back until some decision is made. I think the manifestation we're seeing politically of at least an interest in relooking at that question is the amount of independent candidates. Yeah, it's huge. Huge. Also, the water protests. Yeah. The water protests, the water protests were literally against nationalization and the and the sort of the control taken from local authorities in many ways now those local authorities a lot of them were useless i mean, no one's saying that they were fantastic they weren't um there was a lot of poisoned water going around there was a lot of people in roscommon were sick they were drinking water that was just not fit for human consumption and you know just rationally that if roscommon had an elected mayor you know joe bloggs mayor of roscommon and people had poisoned water he'd be fired Yes. He wouldn't win re-election. And then the guy, another guy would get in or a woman would get in and they go, oh, I'm going to fix the water. And they fix the water and they win re-election. This isn't complicated. It's not, it's not rocket science. Um, but because it's an appointed person, they can kind of hide behind a lot of stuff. Um, and the fact that the local EPAs are a total, just sort of, they vary widely between the counties and between the authorities. Some of them are very good. Some of them are very bad. There is no sort of uniformity there. And so if you really do want to decentralize power, it has to be palatable to the voters. But also, it has to be such that the national parliament don't go, do we have to intervene now? Yeah. Like, they had to intervene in Donegal yeah. two years ago. They had to literally take over power from the council. Now, I think it was for two weeks. But it wasn't good. The council was completely bankrupt. They were bankrupt. And, and Sligo Council is, about to, is close to bankruptcy, too. And so that is a problem, that if the national government has to come in and bail out, or if not a bailout, definitely put them in administration, 
that really doesn't speak well for our system of local kind of power and authority. But people are very much want a greater say in the process. And obviously, you know, you understand that because the, we live in a world of hyper-connectivity. Facebook, Twitter, email, you can contact people at, you know, at the flick of a switch. If Nobody wants to wait eight yeah. days for the formal letter from the minister. Well, if someone's got a problem, say, for example, water and contamination and things like that, it's very easy for 800 people to send an email, whereas before the likeliness of 800 people writing letters was slightly less likely because it just took more effort. Where I can sit, hear about it on the TV and have a small note to my local representative composed within... Half an hour? Yeah, less. Yeah, and and I think that's yeah that's so that's a that's a good thing because citizens get more involved. It's a bad thing because sometimes citizens are mad about stuff, and uh, it wouldn't always be the most rational, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to offend any of our listeners, but people who are against power pylons, I really don't understand. Mm-hmm. I just don't get it. I, I really, genuinely, honest to God, have no understanding for why you would be against power pylons. I just don't understand. Uh, that you've been hearing all these weird kind of horror stories you know oh the 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 horse wouldn't fall and all this kind of mad stuff and you're kind of like where does it, where does this come from like mm-hmm. you know like there are power pylons near my parents house i don't know anybody who's complained about it yeah. like, what are you complaining I'm, about yes i'm not informed enough on the topic I, I mean i don't get it it just seems to be like it just seems to be like kind of a nascent anti-government rage you know right. and the other thing is you can cut the knees out of anti-government rage like because if you're a government minister or a td and you're going, geez, these people are really angry. Our constituents, our voters are really pissed off at us. Well, one way to remove that level of vitriol at you is to say, hang on, you are voters. You know, if we give you, we're going to give you this power for local areas. And if you don't like it, it's on you, Bubba. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always been a big believer of that. You know, history is made by those who turn up. And you get the government you deserve, kind of. Exactly. More. You get what you pay for. Yeah. Uh, if I meet any Australian who who says to me, "Oh, it's terrible," we had Tony Abbott, and I was like, "You voted for him." Sixty percent he is with a ninety-two percent turnout voted for the guy. Yeah. You are responsible. End of debate. It is on you. You know. I I would have a similar question about um, the wind turbine processes. Yeah, well, a lot of those were thrown out recently over Christmas. Yeah, the yeah. courts just killed most of them. I mean, I think the wind turbine protests... I both understand them and I'm annoyed by them. I understand that they're big and to some people they're ugly. I actually like them. I think they're quite pretty. I like, I like any infrastructure, but I'm one of those people. I, I, like, I like all infrastructure. It looks great to me. Yeah. Um, you could argue I have no taste. Um, but uh, I understand they don't like it. It's big and it's ugly. What I don't, I, I get that part of it. The second part of it's, you know, it shouldn't be done makes no sense to me because we import all our fuel. Yeah. So for our own economic independence, uh, we need it. There's, there's, no, there's no third way, right? We import so much of our fuel to keep the show on the road that, you know, and I've said this before, we didn't experience the oil crisis, you and I, but we know people who did, my parents did. You know, the oil crisis shut down the country. And at the moment, it looks like, judging from the international oil 
prices. They're $27 a Yeah, barrel. they're hugely artificially low. Every time that we've had massively low oil prices, they immediately skyrocket. Once, once they stop, once they come to a full stop, once they hit actual rock bottom, they then go to rock sky high, sky high prices. Yes. And also what we have now is we have two countries who are competing with each other who've traditionally hated each other. So Iran and Saudi Arabia are both now big players in the oil market. And so is Russia as well. Russia too, but like those two in particular. Yeah. That's where the, the... There really is a big thing going on there. And, you know, I would not be surprised if we end up in some sort of price war or something in our lifetime. And then, you know, all we need is one of them to turn the oil off, and then we have a problem. Yes. So, you know, creating alternative energy is just uh, an obvious point, right? Um, people having lawsuits in, you know, Kildare about you know, again, about their horses. I don't know what's with the horse people and the and national infrastructure. I've never, I've never heard anybody saying, oh, yeah, you can't build that railway line because, you know, my mare isn't going to be able to foal. I don't understand what it is with the horse people. Any equestrians who listen to this can please email me and tell me what's going on with the horses, okay? Yeah, it would actually be nice to get a response to find out what, like, you know, if, if we're missing some sort of... Yeah, point yeah, yeah. If, if you are a seriously anti-infrastructure person, please get a hold of me. Just send us an email. Tell us. You can be, you know, rude. I don't care. Uh, explain what what is the problem. Yeah. You know, and what's the alternative? Yeah. What would be an alternative solution that would provide the same sort of service? In that region? Exactly. Yeah. When more local, or sorry, more recent um, events, sort of in a less abstract way. Um, the banking inquiry. Yeah, when, talk, when you're talking about um, executives and authorities in local areas and developers and the relationships there, like you could cut the argument either way from looking at the results of the banking inquiry. Um, is that they were both. Well, the report came out and sort of initially said that there's no one thing responsible. They did list a bunch of people, more or less specifically, who were responsible. They named them, yeah. But at the same time, you could cut it either way. You could say that the lack of attention to regulation was prompted by different regional powers and a lack of communication or any information correctly going back to either the European Central Bank um, uh, the regulator the, the regulator or uh, any of the you know top end financial banking executives in Ireland and the introduction of uh, so you could sorry you put it on that way one so you could say it's a problem with the decentralization of financial regulation and authority or the lack the thereof even yeah, the lack of any sort of regulatory authority I mean you know Colin McCarthy yeah. you know he's the economist in UCD I mean he's a very right wing economist and I'm not being offensive calling him that he, he would probably describe himself that way too I mean he's the guy who came up with the famous on board SNP which was the sort of government rationalization plans he did the one in the 80s and he did one in, in 2009 but he kind of had a great uh, comment on um the regulator and I always liked it because he said he had a great line on it he said he said I think most people he meant like the general populace felt that there was a little man there was a little man in the central bank who knew what was going on this little man would keep everything 
on the road. Like everyone trusted there was some guy who was just keeping the show on the road. And then Patrick Nevin, who was then the regulator, turned up on television and was completely incoherent and, you know, was sort of not on the ball, basically. And then he said, you know, after people saw that, they went, what the fuck? Where's the little man? He's the little man. We're fucked. Come down, you know? Um, I don't know if he if if that's uh, somewhat unfair to Nevin. I mean, Nevin is criticized quite heavily for being kind of asleep at the wheel. Um but you could argue as well that as a regulator with limited, he had powers, but limited political capital to carry out those powers. You know, what could he really do? You know, like if he had literally walked into Brian Cowan's office when Cowan was Minister of Finance and said, uh, Minister, we have a serious problem. You know, of our six major banks, three of them are, you know, basically insolvent mm-hmm. and, are, and are selling uh, toxic mortgages to people. And, you know, we're in trouble. Like, who wants to deliver that news? Now, I'm not saying that he, sh- he, he shouldn't have done it. He should have. But you see the, you see the point, like, yeah. because he doesn't have as much independence as he should have. Now, I think the regulator now, um, after the, the reform acts they put through, has a lot more authority now. And, of course, the central bank is a lot more aggressive now. I mean, they're very, very aggressive with the banking system in terms of they will basically stop banks from doing stuff. You know. Because it's in the context of a complete international financial crisis. It is. And of course, I mean, let's be honest, the, the report spends a lot of time hammering the ECB. It does. I mean, it really takes on the European Central Bank, and in particular, Jean-Claude Trichet. Um, it really take, goes to town on him. And there is a question uh, of, is it, not a, moving away from the legal bit, because I, I don't know if it's legal for a, foreign national to threaten the national sovereignty of a country. I don't think that is legal under Irish law, just to put it out there. Um, But even just the optics of it, uh, you have a senior, the most senior financial uh, official in the European Union threatening to blow up the economy of a country inside said union. That's the facts on the ground. And, you know, you look at that and you go, yeah, well, I understand why people don't like the EU. Of course, yeah. Like, it's an obvious correlation, right? I mean, Brian Hayes, who's the director of elections for Fine Gael, kind of had this great line about, you know, he, he basically said, you know, he said, oh, there's always people who are against the EU. You know, he said, there's been people who have been against the EU since the 70s. He's right, there have been. You know, Eamon O'Keefe is one of them. Yes. Um, but just playing them off as kind of loonies doesn't really get to the heart of it. There's a lot of people who looked at that and just went, hang on, we joined this union to be with equals and to be able to sort of, you know, work with in a collegial way. And then we basically get forced with all the problems that we didn't create, you know. I mean, average people didn't create this stuff. Um, so I think that is is still ongoing, this sort of anti-growing, anti-EU mood amongst the electorate that's being masked from this sort of popular scrutiny of it across Europe because it's not in it's not manifesting in a hard right party. It's not manifesting in a kind of neo-fascist Irish party. 
we don't have parties like that. Sort of a neo-nationalist sort of agenda. Yeah, like a like a kind of um, national front type or the uh, alternative for Germany, which is the AFD party, and and they're very right wing too. We don't have that. We we have that vote is going to independents like Lukin Flanagan, right? Who is a very articulate kind of example of an anti EU view, and Sinn Fein. But one of the things I find interesting about Ming is that he's very... Also, the left have always hated the EU in this yeah, country. That's the other thing. The left have always hated the EU. They've always viewed it as this thing has taken away workers' rights and it wants to privatize everything and we don't like it. And, you know, and in fairness to Joe Higgins, he's been consistent on that for like 40 years. He's disliked it. The other thing is, like, as I was just saying about Ming, is that he, at least he's participating as a representative over in Europe for Ireland. But how many people are actually watching them? That's my this, issue. No, this, this is true. Like, you'll occasionally get the odd released short clip of a speech in the U, but the actual, the day-to-day running of the U, it's almost impossible to keep track of. Well, voters' attention doesn't want to go there anyway. Well, it's, it's also like watching C-SPAN in the United States. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just like, like you're, who you're, watches you're, this? You have to occasionally, every, every midterm, deal with your local stuff, and then we, you know, every four years... You should vote for a president. president, yeah. And now it's just like... Why would you want to tune in for X amount of hours of, in our equivalent of a U, sort of EU regulatory functioning, mm. when they have no real authority, either? You know. That's the other problem is the MEPs don't really have a lot of power, which is sort of. It's not making anything any better. They they need some sort of authority. You know, I mean, I think I think Ming will actually do because he. I mean, he picked at the last minute to run for the Euros, in twenty fourteen. I mean, I'd say he'd come back. Yeah. Maybe. I think this Ross Common thing, he'll definitely come back for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back in the country by the weekend in Ross Common. To see what the. Well, just to deal with the border thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I really do have to stress, like, and I've said this before, that, that the county borders in this country, the county mentality is so prevalent. I mean, you can actually tell what county people are from, from the way that they talk, from the things that they talk about. You know, you can recognize a Corkman, a Kerryman, a Dub. There is an act, a Donegal person. You know, I, you and I would know the difference between Tyrone and Donegal. And, you know, we know those differences. Yeah. They're quite stark to us. Yeah. You know, that's not the same in other countries. Sure, even the north and south Donegal. Like, you know, that's, yeah, that's even inter-counties as well. Yeah, yeah. Quite strong. North and South Tip is the famous one as well, yeah. Which is now essentially a license plate with two different countries. Yeah, it's because it's so big. Um, I mean, yeah, I... (coughs) My overall reaction to the banking inquiry was, was it actually worth it now to know all that? I mean, I wonder about the, the... what. What was the point of it? Like, uh, Fianna Gael wanted it to, to basically bash Fianna Fáil in the run-up to an election. Okay, fine. It cost millions. Yeah, well, it cost millions. It, cost, it was cheaper than a tribunal, I'll give them that. Yeah, it was cheaper than a tribunal. Yeah, but that's always a terrible thing. Oh yeah, it was cheaper than this. But it's like, well, still shouldn't have spent that money on it. Um, and, I mean, does the average person read it? I mean, well, like, I'm sure people are going to because at least it's available in PDF, so it's not mm. as kind of it's like you have to go and get go to your local library. Oh yeah, no, I know that. So your people, I think, are going to read, especially the f- couple of first pages with the findings and the recommendations and this, the terribly listed in order points 
Well, I, th- I think the other problem is, well, and we should probably state this for the listener, is that the report was not unanimous. I mean, there no, are... There are participants there are co- who are not signing off on this report itself. And they've created minority reports. Here's being, being one of them. Means. Yeah. I, I haven't read those yet. But I, I would assume that they would place a greater blame on other individuals or other processes. I would assume mm-hmm. that's the, the way they're going to go about it. Um, it is unfortunate that it wasn't unanimous. Um because it was one of the first committees that was on a kind of cross-party basis where everyone was kind of interested in finding out what was going on. But even those who did, I forget which comment I read, was that they, um, they did, I forget who it was on which committee signed off on it, but they did say that they wish they could delve deeper. That Was that Susan O'Keefe? She was a Labour yeah, senator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was um, sort of a situation where I believe that, yes, it is a great document to have. I, not to say for posterity, but you get what I'm getting at. To in have, general, yeah. To have gone through this entire process and done nothing in terms of any sort of investigatory process, I think would be ridiculous. Hmm. That it cost the amount that it did, and the results, at least for now, at least in this immediate aftermath. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, political, obsessive people who are going to fine comb that thing, and who, with the evidence, are going to be able to put two and two together in a way that someone who's viewing the stuff so immediately I think in the passage of time that report will facilitate other people's interests at least other specialists anyway so I think it's valuable in that instance but are there going to be a bunch of heads rolling after this the complete opposite it was delivered intentionally to be I think the journal called it to come out in the whimper which is very much yeah. the case yeah, yeah 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 I mean I always think of it you know Paul Desmond the jazz musician no I don't Paul Desmond he was the part of the take five Oh, yeah. He had a great turn on that. You know, the, not with the not with the bang, but with a whimper. He used to always say, uh, when he'd see ex-girlfriends on the street, he'd say, not with a bang, but with a banker. <laughs> 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 Which I thought was just a nice little thing from this. Um, I thought we'd just, we, we'd end quickly, uh, because we do, I mean, by the time we come back for the next recording, we're going to be in the middle of a general election. It looks like Enda is going to go and dissolve the doll as soon as possible now that the committee report has come out. Um, and uh, obviously we're going to try to interview some younger politicians in the meantime. Um, but just as an election, what is your kind of feeling now, looking at it coming at you? As, like, as someone, you know, in your mid 20 you know like at your age and looking at it going okay so what now like the inquiry at least immediately has not developed maybe the political or public interest that it might have both because of its results and because of the timing also because it is as you pointed out it's a cross-party process no one wants to be part of a process that's going to be used to hammer their own party so there has to be somewhat like and i'm sure that might be not to you know, sort of to sort of say that uh, Pierre Starty was being opportune, but not signing off on a document that he knows will fundamentally be put aside for for the election purposes. Smaller and more petty things will come to the fore. Yeah, I mean, like I, I suppose if you there's a I saw already that the attack against him is that he basically wants to be able to attack Finn Fall. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that, but essentially what... Uh, and particularly, he's in Donegal, and it's a reunified county, and there are domestic, shall we say, political considerations that are always going to be there. But regardless of the sort of the inner party politics, I think right now, 
Fine Gael are looking down the barrel of not getting exactly the seats, the seats they thought they would six months ago. Yeah. I think Fianna Fáil are probably about the same with one caveat. They haven't done anything new. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Uh, Labour, I think a lot of people are writing them off. I don't think it'll be as bad for them, at least at the... The, the run-up could be terrible, but depending on how they go about running for re-election. You know, are they going to run on being coalition partners again? Yeah. I mean, I, I actually think Labour will will do well in the first preferences, mm-hmm. but I actually don't think they're going to get that many seats. Yeah. I think I think they'll have a good show. Do you know what I mean? But I actually don't think they're going to get a lot of transfers to get them over. Well, I, yeah, that's the thing. I wouldn't say they're going to necessarily do well, exactly, but I don't think it's going to be... Like, everyone thought that it would just PDs, be... PDs, wipeout, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's going to be that bad. It is too old a party to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it's there since 1913. It, it's over 100 years old. Yeah, there thought, are hard parties yeah, to kill, like... like we thought Fianna Fáil would die a bit more than it did. And, you know, yeah. the, the council elections at least have shown that that is just not the case. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, the, it was a different electorate that turned out there. Although I think that different electorate is going to turn out here, too. Yeah. This is one of the things that I'm curious about is that we have really high turnouts traditionally at general elections, particularly in, in my lifetime anyway. I don't know about prior to when I was born, but in my lifetime, it's been fairly high, ranging from like the mid-60s to the 70s, which is great. Is, think about that. Like in 2014... Uh, less than 40% of Americans eligible to vote turned out to vote. You know, that's terrible. Um, So we have great turnout, much greater turnout than the UK. Um, So if the turnout reaches 78, 79, 80, 81%, then all bets are off. Because that means that there are voters there that we've never had to deal with before. As in, like, as and by deal with, I mean, from a political science point of view, we don't know where they fit within the system. These are voters coming from different areas, and we don't know what motivates them in the same way, mm-hmm. right? And we're going to have a later discussion on polling and sort of the inadequacies of it, um, and how we should, you shouldn't focus on it. And this is what we were talking about with Fine Gael. I mean, they're looking at those polls going, oh yeah, that's going to get us over. It's like, it is not. You know, and we well, we're going to have a whole episode about that, and we'll bring Kerwin in, and we're going to do a whole uh, in-depth kind of look at our polling system. One of the, the first questions you have to ask when you consider polling around because the preference system, yeah. it's if they vote for the person they imagine that they want as first preference, is their next is number two the same party or not? Yeah, because very often it actually won't be. And is number three? Yeah, you know, and. And uh, also, you have to take into account that we use the DeHaunt counting method, mm-hmm. which is a very different counting method. Um, so we're going to go through all of that. We're going to do a special episode, very close enough to the election, kind of going through our, our polling and our counting system. And we're going to give some advice for strategic voting. You know, um, not, We're not going to tell anyone who to vote for. We're definitely going to sort of say, like, you know, if you want to maximize your vote, here's how you do it. You know, don't just do one, two, three. Go all the way down the list. Make sure that you're using your transfers because they, you know, are they really matter. matter. Yeah. They absolutely matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's sort of my final thoughts on the election. I mean, I, I am really looking forward to it kicking off and starting, and uh, I'm glad it's quick. Partly because I'm sort of tired of this sort of 
will we won't we thing we've had this going on for months now let's just actually have the election this yeah. six months of pre-election nonsense doesn't get us anywhere you know no one's governing i mean i think you're right though just on the last thing on on the numbers uh, i think we're going to end up with a kind of a ragtag thing where they're not going to be able they're not going to have 80 seats to govern they're going to need to find the remainder and you know i'm still holding to there's a good chance to be a second general back to the 80s you know so in a two in one year. Two in one year. Um, and if you look at our European counterparts, that's not new. No, that is. That's, that's becoming the norm. Two in one year. And on that note, any questions or comments you can get us at Spoil Your Rain uh, on Twitter, or you can contact us. Contact us by Spoil Your Rain at gmail.com. And uh, in the show notes for this, we're going to put up some of the uh, links to some of the things we talked about today. And as always, uh, any comments, questions, complaints are always welcome. Thank you and goodbye.